Hello world, welcome to Industrial Nomads, Voices on the Road. This is episode Jonathan Newman. We met planning a job for his employer. It was both of our first jobs to plan for his company. We've since developed a friendship to the extent that our families have shared meals and outings. I always enjoy the company, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, and I did get that right. That was your first job to plan out there as well, or was it just your first time planning in that unit? It was probably both. I was about as green as you could be. I may have had my hands just dipped into something briefly, but that was my first actual hands-on actually assisting in turnaround work. Okay, well, that that's going to take me right into the first thing I want to talk about. Um, I've gotten to know a number of people um, with, with your company on that job site, and I firmly believe that of all the people I've met and gotten to know out there, you have the most uh, diverse job history on that job site. Would do you, is there some credence to what I'm saying? Or that that's a fairly accurate statement. I have been to many different places with many different job titles. I've kind of started out as a just a regular old grease monkey mechanic, and kind of worked my way through the ranks there. Uh, swapped over to working on the operations side for a couple of years, and then uh, that plant was sold to someone else so I had to move back to to my company and I worked in a heater crew for a while and that was also part of a pipeline route so I worked on pipeline Uh, I've worked in several different heater crews throughout the years and then I actually worked in a wastewater treatment plant which was a really good job really interesting job and then I switched over to work in the E&I group where I did uh, some light refrigeration work as well (laughs) and then currently Moved into the turnaround planning role, which is where I met your host here, Thad. Yeah, and and going through that, it, it's been, uh, I, th- I think, what's really cool from my side of it is that you, you've shown me a whole lot of things out there, just, just on the overall, I guess, operations and the function of the the facility as a whole. Like, you, you show me where uh, the, the water treatment area um, and then my, my all time favorite, um, uh, is the bugs, man. You know, that, that the bugs are, the bugs are pretty cool. The microscopic, you can't actually see them, but you know, they're there bugs. And those are high dollar bugs, right? They are they're pretty high dollar bugs. They definitely like to keep those things alive pretty much at all costs. And, and without revealing any, any trade seekers or anything it was just really cool to see the the bug farm from start to finish you you walked me through it and uh I, and i'll never forget that that experience on my side that that was really neat uh and then while we we're in that area you were showing me the you, you had to do a lot of pump work in the in the water form right that is correct we i picked up on lift stations that were all over the plant just different uh process sewer routes that get pumped from each individual plant and it all goes to the wastewater plant where it gets treated before we can send it out. And so I, like you said, I'd been in a lot of different places and seen a lot of the plant that's, being in that wastewater area. <laughs> and that's really cool, man. I just, uh, I'll, I'll always appreciate that. And I actually, you, uh, the pair of channel locks um, that I carry in my in my back pocket on the job site, 
that that's something you had an extra pair and you gave it to me and i, I appreciate that those will those will always be used so uh they're always handy you can always use a pair of channel locks that is a fact absolutely um now we we jumped right into um the job site and one of the you know me we've been through a lot of places out there and uh again you've shown me around and we've climbed we've climbed a lot of uh structures what what's the highest one that you think we've climbed i think the highest one that we have ever climbed i think technically is a cheat because it's about halfway up the column has stairs so i don't know that that one actually counts because it's like 140 150 feet so i think that that one may not count however we both did climb one that was about 120 feet and it was a straight shot because it's grandfathered in. <laughs> There's only one ladder that goes all the way to the top. And that was a climb. And if I recall that the barrel on that ladder was 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 not, it was a little narrower maybe than it is. It, on the that is ones. correct as well. It's one of those, it's the only drawings and prints I could find of it were an actual legitimate blueprint drawing from 1968. And, when it was installed in the plan, and that, and that in itself was pretty cool. That uh, that was actually turned out to be a really good experience all the way around. I think for everybody, and everything went like it should. So that was a that was a win. It was. I think the tallest one that I have ever climbed out there was just a shade under 190 feet. 190 feet, and, and that in my experience with that doesn't bother you a bit. Like you don't have any any. Oh no. Yeah. I'm the type of guy who can get up there and. You know, dangle my toes off the end, and you know everybody else is squeamish. And I'm like, "Oh, this is great! You can actually feel the tower moving up here." Yeah. Okay. Just to clarify, not that he actually dangles his feet over. <laughs> just, no, no, no. I don't actually do that no, kind of stuff. But he could. I mean, because you, you also, um, in your spare time, you're you. I've seen pictures of you would sitting on the edge of a cliff with you know your feet hanging over. That's true. That was slightly higher. That was about. 5,000 feet straight down with my toes actually <laughs> hanging over that ledge. That is that is a fact. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, no doubt you don't have the, a fear of heights. Um, and uh, getting more into that now, you, you do have a family uh, in in the Longview area. You live actually outside of Longview. Um, that's correct. But that's the, that's the place everybody knows around there. Um, you have a wife, two daughters. Yes, I do. I have a wife, Kristen, and I have uh, Skylar, who is 15, and Harper, who is 8. Are they all listening in? They're all hiding out in the living room. I figured they might get a little loud, so I snuck away. (laughs) Same thing with my wife and kids. I got them shut out, man. um, You you travel when you can. And this wasn't part of... uh, I wasn't planning on talking about your traveling, but then uh, you've, you've got some pretty good photos of some some sites what what's the favorite your favorite place that you've been to uh on your in your out of work travels it that's that's a really tough question it's one of those that every trip has its own unique and special place in like your heart but it's probably the most unique place that i've been was the hike through the grand canyon where i went to havasu falls which is a 15-mile, one-way hike-in only. Like, that's the only way to get there. And at the end of it, it's just this grand oasis of, you know, 80-foot-tall waterfalls, and it truly is spectacular. 
Now, that's the picture that's up in your office that you took, correct? That is correct. It was one of those trips where I had to weigh everything that I was bringing because I didn't want to carry an extra ounce for the <laughs> you know, nearly 30-mile round trip. Well, heck no. well, how long did it take you? Uh, I got one way because I would figure you enjoyed it a little bit while you were there. But then, you know, one way and then round trip, like what kind of timeline did it, you know, how many hours you put into that? Well, I, I planned it out pretty precisely because that's kind of our job is to plan. So right. I, I was at the edge of the Grand Canyon as day was breaking. So I was coming down the switchbacks and I was on the Grand Canyon floor as the sun was rising. So I did the whole hike in. Okay, so I hiked in in the shade from the Grand Canyon wall all the way in. Then I spent the whole day slash afternoon at the falls, just enjoying the sights, the sounds. And I waited for the sun to crest on the other side of the Grand Canyon wall. And I hiked out in the shade of the Grand Canyon wall on the other side. But it was a true probably 14, 14 and a half hour day worth of hiking. How much time? did you spend at the falls oh probably seven hours or so seven hours at the falls seven hours at the falls i hiked in in about two and a half to three hours and i hiked out a little it took a little longer getting up the switchbacks at the end yeah that's incredible but it, but it looked like it was worth it i mean from the i probably will never that's do one that of those trips at hands down it is worth doing. It's not a difficult hike. It's just the endurance that it takes because you're just walking on a flat ground surface for just so many miles. It's okay. not difficult. So it's it's, so it truly was like, just a, a distance hike, it, like you just said. You're that saying, is correct. Okay. It wasn't a treacherous terrain or a lot of fear no. of injury from the, the walk itself. It was just a, a chunk of a ways to get there. That is correct. Okay. That's good to know. Kind of encouraging. Again, I'm not sure... I think probably the longest hike I did was uh, uh, Medicine Bow. I believe that's what it was called in Oklahoma, um, Wyoming. Um, wasn't that far. Uh, that's some pretty country up there, though. It it is that man. It is that. It makes you feel makes you feel free. <laughs> um, jumping topics, uh, cars, and and I'm just saying cars because you have a race car that you do some uh, recreational slash competitive racing. And uh, you also, you, you don't just work on cars. You, as a matter of fact, you just completed building a car today, right? That is correct. I went and had it weighed today, trying to get all the rest of my paperwork titling stuff going on it today. And that's something I never even thought about. How do you title a car that you built from scratch? Uh, it comes with certain paperwork that that makes it easier. How long have you been? Were you working on that project? Uh, I started this project probably either really late February or early March. And what'd you build? I built a kit car of a representation of a Shelby Cobra. Now, and I'll use, um, you sent me a picture of that, and if, if you're okay with it, I'd like to use that as your, at least your temporary uh, episode cover. Beautiful car. Um, but you painted yeah. that. You, you did all, all the assembly. 
100% assembly, yes. and you painted... The, the entire build from suspension, interior, bodywork, engine build, everything happened in my shop behind my house. Everything. Paint booth was built in there, shot it, everything. Turnkey, 100% built in my backyard. Beautiful car. I can't wait to see it. Uh, your second Cobra, right? Did, and you did build the last one also? or I did not. I built a 69 Mustang Fastback, and someone wanted it more than me, and he traded this the other cobra that i had for it okay so. okay so you, you built the the mustang and you got the cobra on a trade and then you sold that one and built my own that is correct that's pretty cool and, and he's got a a he says he's got a shop i mean he's got a car lift in his shop like a hydraulic lift so um definitely definitely a bona fide legitimate shop um, I'm a car guy for sure. <laughs> yeah, so your race car, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we started out, it's it's one of those, we had to find something that was cheap. You know, we all have normal jobs. We're not, you know, millionaires by any stretch of the imagination. So we found a, they call it budget racing, but it's also endurance racing. So if your car will run as long as the race will go, you can really put in some seat time. So we race in a circuit that's, we run for eight to nine hours a day and we get two days a week and that will run. So we'll run a grand total of 12 to 14 hours in a weekend. And that involves driver changing, fueling, pitting the car, you know, stuff like that. And it's not who can do it the fastest. It's who can do the most laps in the allotted amount of time is the overall winner. Okay. So like you said, the less time you're stopped, you may not be, peaking your miles per hour higher than someone else but you spent less time repair whatever you get you cover more ground and that's the key to the race y'all do that is exactly right i can have a slower car but if that faster car uses more fuel he's gonna have to pit more than me so i can use that to my advantage and overcome his speed with my efficiency and create more laps than he can that way what kind of horsepower is in your race car just to Our put it all in perspective between you know right around 250 i'll say so we're we're not a high horsepower but we'll do some tracks you know 130 down the straights and it's real wheel-to-wheel racing like it's they're all out there as fast as they can go for as long as they can <laughs> so we've been watching uh with the kids we've been watching cars here they're they're that's their new animated show to watch and so uh, that that just popped in my head when you said that. That so you are out there side by side, just racing down the straightaway with a group That's of cars. Right. The last track we were on, it was like two and a half miles, and there was like ninety cars that were on the track all at the same time. Uh, have you? Ever, I'm sure you've seen some accidents. Have you ever been any any uh, fender benders or collisions or? Oh yeah, that car's seen its fair share of. Uh, side swipes and got tire marks on it and there was actually a true 24-hour endurance race that we were in and we got t-boned in the middle of the night which luckily the car has a cage in it so all we had to replace it was a door the next day so <laughs> so when you when you do have to repair you just take it in the shop you'll do the body work and stuff out there or do you, the other guys they have shops too or well a lot of this happens at the race so it's just beat it out as straight as you can get it and go out there and try to get some more laps in. And then once the race is completed, you'll take it home and actually survey what damage you've done and what else you've done by not fixing it correctly. 
I so got there's, you. there's quite a bit that we have to do. I got you. And uh, uh, do y'all share equal drive time or? We try to, yes. Our car will run for about an hour and a half per tank of fuel. And so each time we pit, we get fuel, we'll swap drivers. Because in reality, you can't drive for more than two hours at a time. Like It just mentally fatigues you and you start to lose it. Kind of like some of the hours on a turnaround where you, you might think you feel good and you might think you're on your game, but you are mentally fatigued after, say, 16 hours of work or something like That's that. That's right. But yeah. you don't realize it until you stop working and you get home and you're like, wow, I can't believe I just did all of that. And yeah. that wasn't even close to what I thought was happening. Uh, do you ever lose your cool in a race? It's really hard to because that's part of what it is. Like, you have to be calm. Like, there's some exciting moments, but it's just you need to be calm just to keep your energy and keep your mind focused. And I want a little little side story here, and, and I'm sure Jonathan knows where I'm going with this. Um, I guess three years, uh, having since I met you, and uh, I've only seen you lose your cool. I'm not sure you even got my, I'm not sure you even got mad. But I did see, you know, a, a two-and-a-half, three-second rant on what? Do you remember what that was about? I know you do. Oh, I, I know 100% what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it's referring to my, my jitterbug work phone, as I like to call it. The jitterbug, yeah. <laughs> I think you were, so I, you were trying to answer a call. And but Yeah, the story that he's referring to is, I have my intrinsically safe work phone that I carry around. And for probably four hours of the day, anytime someone would call my desk phone slash computer, it rolls to my cell phone. Well, anytime I answered it on my cell phone being out in the field, it would drop that call. <laughs> and this was probably the 10th or 12th time it had done this when I was sitting next to that. I picked up the phone and answered it, and it just goes, and dropped the call and I went, ah! I think that's the moment that he was talking about. Yeah, you started finger jamming the phone, man. <laughs> and that really is. That is that is of, of all the uh, working turnarounds, that, that can be some high pressure. You know, people get, I mean, not angry with each other and stuff, but people get frustrated over just whatever. We're out there long hours. Uh, a lot of times it's nonstop. And, and in all of that, over over the years, it was the jitterbug phone that, that got you to, yeah. to get riled up. <laughs> yep, that's it. Well, well, part of that backstory is that if they call my desk phone, it rolls to my cell phone, and I answer it, my desk phone doesn't show me who the call was because it was picked up. So I don't have a call record at this point anymore of who it was because my phone dropped it, so I don't know who it was. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, another topic that... I, I know that you enjoy fishing. Uh, we've gotten to go fishing uh, together, and uh, we've also just been on boat rides together. Um, um, just as we're talking, though, uh, a little while ago I was talking to Gene Fletcher, and he caught a 10-pound catfish, like 10.38 pounds. He sent me a picture of it, weighed out. Uh, so anyway, just just like, nice you know, fish. yeah, you know Gene and uh, – but fishing wise, where is the best fishing spot uh, around you? Like, is it? Uh, we've been to a couple of different places. Um, I can't remember the name of that lake that had the island. What was that one called? That is Brandy Branch Reservoir. 
but all the locals around here call it Perky because it used to be Perky Power Plant. Perky. Okay, that's, yeah, the Brandy Branch, I was like, wait a minute, I don't remember that. But uh, it, as far as good fishing spots, do you catch many fish there? Or I've not done a lot of fishing there, but it is, they do several tournaments there a year, so it, it's a pretty good little spot. Okay. Uh, it's a clear, I mean, the water was so clear. That was that was uh, really, really amazing just how clear that was. Well, I think that's part of the reason, like, we've started playing on that lake is because the water's so clear. Because some of the other lakes, they're bigger and they're, you know, I'll say, quote, nicer. But Perky is so clear that it's hard not to go there because you can get in the water and you'll see your toes playing this day. Yeah, no kidding. Um, have y'all, y'all been out? Well, I'm sure you've wintered your boat, right? You've winterized it? and It has been winterized. We're, we're officially done boating for the year kind of sad man that's a that's a cool boat uh so yeah it, it it does all right now how how did you uh, and it's you have that boat but just prior you had another boat or you almost or you almost had a boat right we, we i guess technically by definition it was a boat although when <laughs> it arrived at our house i don't think that it would have actually floated so i don't know that it would classify itself as a boat anymore <laughs> That's cool. Uh, and nothing against the other boat, but the boat you ended up with, uh, it, that's a cool boat, man. It holds a lot of people. You say the capacity's... 13. Yeah, that's a lot. And, and it's not a... Um, yeah, what no, this is not a high-end aeronautique, nothing like that. This is just a plain old, normal 1998 regular old boat. Just a runabout. It's an inboard, right? Yes, that's right. It's an inboard-outboard. Inboard. That is correct. But I, I'm thinking of the party, the party, the, what do you call them? The, got the two big pontoons underneath. The, yeah, it's a pontoon boat. Yeah, pontoon boats, man. I don't, man. Duh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not that. It's actually a, I mean, it's a. Yeah, it's a runabout. Yeah, and it's uh, it's really cool. Um, was there anything that, that I haven't mentioned that you want to discuss, or is there want to elaborate on anything else or i don't know i think that's a pretty thorough brief job description slash how we know each other yeah yeah and uh i agree and it's not like i'm i really hope that i get you back on at some point uh i'll get better at my end of it and uh you know we'll we can do this as many times as we want because nobody's making the rules except us so that's uh, right. Maybe I'll have some better stories to tell next time some crazy event that happened at work. <laughs> well, uh, me and Colleen both remain hopeful that, that we'll make it back to, to Longview sooner than later. And I uh, appreciate you taking the time to share some experiences with us and, and be on here and, and let me you know record you and put you on the podcast. Um, I appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, until next time. And... Uh, And to those of you listening, uh, take care of yourselves and each other. Signing off.